Today I'd like to share with you something that is a continuation on, on our series on the church. But I felt that the Lord gave me a message that is connected with our new year and the new um, thing that God is doing with us. And uh, as we uh, turn to the Bible, I'd like to draw your attention to two passages that we will be looking at more um, uh, closely, as, and uh, one of them is the one that we looked at last week, Isaiah 52, and the second one will be Isaiah 54. Isaiah 52 and 54 are passages of Scripture that um, refer to or speak into uh, what I call a liminal time, uh, the time of great change, time of great transformation that is going to be taking place or is th- that, that is taking place in Israel at that time when the prophets are speaking. Isaiah 52 and 54 are interesting because they speak about a reversal of fortunes in the state of Israel, in the, in the nation of Israel, that is so great that you could not believe it. It's a turning of the tide that, based upon history and based upon the experience of the past few years, you could hardly believe that such good would take place because it's been so bad. And so, um, Isaiah chapter 52 and 54 uh, two passages that I felt the Lord gave give me, not only for myself, but for the church. Because I believe that we are in a very interesting time in which God is about to do just that. There is going to be such a liminal time, a time of change. But if you don't have the right framework for understanding it, you won't understand, you would, you would not expect it. And actually, you may um, go against it. And so as we look at the, the, the Bible together, uh, I would like to invite you to pray with me as we ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Lord, we welcome the presence of the Holy Spirit upon those who are here and those who are at home or on the road. We ask you that you would speak to us in such a way that it will be very clear that we will have felt that you spoke to us personally. We thank you, Lord, that everything is not as it seems. Because we ask you that you cause us to be a people, a church, who are able to see below the surface to the things that are real, invisible, and more powerful. We ask you that as we enter into this new year, 2022, you will do something so strong in us that not one of us will have felt that this year has been a bad year, but has been a year of great turning. We welcome the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus. Amen. We've been talking about expectation, and we spoke about the expectation in this way. We said that all of us have expectations, whether you expect consciously or you don't expect. Most of the expectations that we have are unconscious expectations. Uh, They are expectations that are often a default mode that has been scripted into us by our experiences, perhaps even scars in our soul. 
that have given us, without even thinking, without even expecting, we are already set for a certain expectation. Without expecting anything, you are already expecting nothing, right? If you, expect, if you don't expect anything to happen, then you are expecting nothing to happen. You cannot not expect. Even if you are a neutral, expectation is something that's there. But I'm not speaking so that we can have expectations, so that we'll be expectant that something would happen in the flesh. Because expectation, we were saying last Sunday, is something that is dropped into our heart, rather like what um, Scott was speaking about today, about Mary, where something, a seed of expectation, a something that has a solid object, so much so that the expectation is not done as a, as, as, as a, as a, as a self-directed thing on ourselves, but it's a thing that has objective and solid substance. And it is dropped into our heart by the Holy Ghost so that faith is the substance of things hoped for. So we said, we said yes, uh, last Sunday, that expectation is something that God drops into us. It doesn't come from ourselves. It can, it's not generated by any amount of optimism that we have. It doesn't come from any emotional hope or any kind of experience. In fact, it is not of our experience. It is actually in spite of our experience. And that is why when we look at Isaiah chapter 52 and 54, you will find that the expectation of God is actually counter-opposite, contra everything that the nation of Israel has experienced in the past. It's almost as if expectation is redefined in the Bible as something that is not from us as a subject, but as God as a subject, and we being the we are the ones who receive an expectation that is a solid thing. So when, uh, God, when the angel spoke to Zacharias, we, we saw that when he, he said that you will have joy and gladness of heart, what he was saying is that something is going to happen. A real baby is going to be formed. Right? A real baby is going to be formed. When God gives us expectations, it has back of it Substance. And so when we look at Scripture, you, we look at Scripture differently. Yeah? Differently. We can have expectations based upon optimism or our own subjectivism, our own kind of uh, experiences. But then there is God who intervenes with an expectation that is not of this world, that is not of us as well. And this is something that I'd like us to look at because as we look into 2020, 22, that is something that God is actually putting and dropping into us today and has, I hope, been, been dropping into your heart since last week at least when we said we'll prepare and allow God to have space to be able to put that in. I'm glad, I'm very grateful for what Scott shared during our communion uh, today because it's very much in line with what I feel the Lord is speaking to us as a church. Let's, let's have a look at a, a few of these examples, right? Let's look at Isaiah chapter 52. I'm reading from the NASB. As I'm sure Daniel was expecting. 
Awake, awake, clothe yourself in your strength, O Zion. Clothe yourself in your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For the uncircumcised and the unclean will no longer come into you. Shake yourself from the dust, rise up, O captive Jerusalem. Loose yourself from the chains around your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For thus says the Lord, you were sold for nothing, and you will be redeemed without money. For thus says the Lord God, my people went down at the first into Egypt to reside there, then the Assyrian oppressed them without cause. Now therefore, what do I have here? declares the Lord. What do I have here? This is a situation. Seeing that my people have been taken away without cause. Again, the Lord declares, those who rule over them howl. My name is continually blasphemed all day long. It looks really bad. Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, in that day, I am the one who is speaking. Here I am. What has verse 6 got to do with all that? Therefore, you think that therefore is following, logically following what was happening. What, what the Isaiah was basically saying, what God is saying through Isaiah is this. You have been taken down into, into, into exile. You've been taken down into slavery in Egypt. You overstayed your time in Egypt, so to speak. You were supposed to be there as sojourners, but you actually stayed longer, got powerful, and then got not powerful and got into slavery. You were exiled in, by, uh, into, into, into Assyria and you were scattered. Uh, actually, that was the northern kingdom. I, I believe this is also speaking to the southern kingdom where, where actually Assyria threatened and actually oppressed and actually um, uh, made um, Judah, the southern kingdom, uh, 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 a vassal state, I uh, to give tribute. <coughs> All that, your experience is terrible. And the experience now was being met with this pivotal moment, this trigger moment, in which God was saying, awake, awake, put on your beautiful garments, verse 1, clothe yourself with strength, because the uncircumcised and the unclean, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians are not going to come into you again. What he's saying is that there's going to be such a reversal of your fortunes based upon what he is saying, the prophetic word, that you would not even believe it. We are constantly having to deal as Christians with this dynamic in which God does a reversal. That God does a reversal. But at the same time, there are things that prevent us from being able to flow into what God is doing and His re- re- reversal. And that has a lot to do with our history, our experience, the disappointment, and perhaps what we talked about before, a long disappointment, a long disappointment. The thing about long disappointment is that it scars us and it shapes us. Our experience shape, shape our expectancy the instrument of expectation. They have a way of causing barriers to flowing with the Holy Spirit, with what God is doing. But Isaiah chapter 52 was saying, now I want you to now put on your beautiful garments. These were the garments of the priests. They were beautiful, full of precious stones and all that. And they indicate the ministry that Israel was supposed to have, the people of God, as a people who would stand between the infinite riches of God and all the needs of the world. The priest stands in between the needs of the world that are almost infinite 
but not infinite. And the resources of God, which are indeed infinite. Israel's ministry to the world was to intercede for the world and to be witnesses to the world that God can do for the world just as much as he did for them. And what God was saying to Israel, who had lost the priesthood, who had lost their ministry, had lost, they were oppressed, they were not able to do this, they were being filled by the uncircumcised, the unclean, so to speak. Now I want you to stand over against all that you've experienced and act differently because you are in this, what you call, liminal time, the time of transformation, of radical change that's taking place. You are in that dynamic now. And I would say to you, to us as a church, because of the coming of Christ, because of the coming of the Holy Spirit, we are always in a liminal place because of the cross, because of the coming of the Spirit. We are always in that place. We're not only in that place because someone prophesied to us, but because of the fact that in Christ, when we are in Christ, we are in that dynamic of liminality in which God is changing things, turning things around. And He does it in a certain way. And I hope that today we can actually catch a little bit of that and we will keep talking about it for the next few, few weeks, I, I suppose. I suppose I think so. <laughs> but that's really important because Isaiah 52, and, and then we're going to look at Isaiah 54, is a word of God that is so outrageous, especially in regard the situation, the condition that we are in now. There's, a, there's going to be a complete change of situation that... Um, God is going to train us to be able to absorb and work with and flow with in spite of the fact that we have been calcified by our own bad experiences. Okay? So, experience of long disappointment, long oppression. Isaiah chapter 54 is a little bit different, but also a certain reversal. Uh, let's turn to Isaiah chapter 54 and uh, let's look at this. Shout for joy, O barren one. So, the experience of barrenness. One who has borne no child. Break forth into joyful shouting and cry aloud. Can you see what God is saying is, I acknowledge your desolation and your barrenness. You have borne no child. Now break forth into joyful shouting. Joyful shouting is coming. And I, we, we said before, a few weeks ago, that there's a very thin line between desolation and joyful shouting. And that line is like a paper-thin wall that can be broken into, broken through into joyful singing. One moment you can be completely desolate and completely hopeless. The next moment, and get this, this is, this is incredible, this is, this is mind-boggling. The next moment, you can enter into the realm of joyful shouting. And we saw a few weeks ago, before Christmas, that this joyful shouting is objective. Joy because, not because you have a good attitude, but because of the fact that there is something joyful. There is something God is doing that's going to be joyful. Something solid. Amen? Joyful gladness. And so, I, we see the same thing in Isaiah chapter 54, this this situation that the Holy Spirit brings, He is liminality par excellence. He's limited, limit, liminality par excellence. Nothing is the same again. 
He makes all things new. Behold, all things that pass away. Behold, the new has come. The coming of the Spirit is the coming of a new moment. New dynamic. If we don't understand that, we will be trapped in the stasis of our history, of our experience. Our lived experience, psychologically, um, a lot of academic uh, psychological studies have been Talk, have been done on lived experience with respect to suicide, yeah? suicide, and how suicide is very much a, a product of lived experience. I've, I've, I've begun to realize that this whole phrase, lived experience, is a very academically nuanced phrase. It's, it's been bastardized recently, but, but really there's this whole thing about lived experience is a, is a certain component of knowing. And when you know something, this, this lived experience has to, be, has, to be, has to be balanced up with objective reality. That's all there. Yeah? And so there's a way in which lived experience can actually scar us and, and trap us into a way of expecting things that is unbiblical not true to what God has for us. And we all need healing from that. But healing only comes from the cross. So when you stand astride, this narrow wall between desolation, barrenness, or, or um, uh, bad experiences and depression, and joyful shouting between this narrow, there's this thing that militates against us experiencing the good that God has for us in the year to come. Today we, we, we want to talk about that. And we'll focus especially on Isaiah chapter 54, since we looked at it last, uh, at 52 to last week. Okay, so let's go ahead. We'll, we'll read this. There's much to be said. I'm just going to have to discipline myself to not go beyond what the bounds of the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit is saying. Let's read it from verse 1. Again, NASB. Shout for joy, O barren one, you who have borne no child. Break forth into joyful shouting and cry aloud, you who have not travailed. For the sons of the desolate one will be more numerous than the sons of the married woman, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent Stretch out the curtains of your dwelling pl- dwellings. Spare not. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your pegs. That's all the preparation, right? For, this is what you, your expectation is. For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left. And your descendants will possess nations and will resettle the desolate cities. Four, because this is the thing to expect. Verse three. I put it to you that in some way, all of us have this coming. It may not look like it. Your lived experience may not indicate that. But God says a word from the other side. For you, for you will spread. All this that we saw in verse one and verse two are preparation for that. This preparation is 
is the way in which we expect. Verse 3 is the thing expected. Yeah? For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your descendants will possess nations and will resettle the desolate cities. Before we start traipsing off into the idea that we are just going to get rich and powerful and become the inheritance of all the, the structural power that is there, um, whenever the Holy Spirit speaks through the Scriptures about the people of God possessing the nations, it really means having a witness to such an extent that the people in the world, the goyim, so to speak, the Gentiles, will see the reality of God and they will be converted. So the, and the, and the, in, the, in, the, in the essence of it, it's not crass prosperity, but it's actually the witness that will cause people to be warm to the Lord. To be warm to the Lord. At the, at the base of all our, our God's goodness and, and, and uh, prosperity is the, the heart of God to bring people to Himself. I think the many Christians through the Middle Ages got that wrong and started killing people so that they could possess them. That is not the right interpretation of that. Okay. Your descendants will possess nations and will resettle the desolate cities. Fear not, for you will not be put to shame. And do not feel humiliated, for you will not be disgraced, but you will forget the shame of your youth. And immediately, the Isaiah nails the thing that is triggering a reaction from that hope. And the reaction comes from the fact that Israel has been humiliated before. Israel has been shamed before. And to step out like this in the midst of what seems like a rude, ludicrous act is shameful for them. And so what God is saying to Israel is this, don't worry, I understand this. You are actually reacting against it. You're, you're shying away from what my word is saying because you have been imprinted with humiliation. You've been imprinted by times in which you have thought something great is going to happen and you spoke about it and then it really embarrassed you because it didn't work that way. You've been humiliated by times in which you were going out with a high hand and you were full of expectation, wide-eyed and bushy-tailed, and then something really clamped down on you and it was a total disaster. And because of that, that has imprinted itself upon your heart so much so that you can't do this kind of stuff again. You can't shout aloud and break forth into joy and pray and, and declare all good things and all. You can't do that because humiliation has taken the, 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 the arrogance out of you but it's also taken the spirit out of you as well. You've, you've experienced that before, I'm sure. And what God is saying to the nation of Israel who is, that is, is, is barren and it is desolate and it's been rejected by its maker is this, fear not for you will not be put to shame. Do not feel humiliated for you will not be disgraced. You will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood. You will remember no more for your husband is your maker. And what God is saying is this, you were rejected, you were forsaken, but I tell you, I am covenanted to you. I'm your maker. I'm your husband. I'm committed to you. 
to thick and thin, whatever, unconditionally. I'm committed to you. But can you, can you see this? We'll just stop here for a little bit uh, in Isaiah chapter 54. The blockage is a certain triggering, a certain place where you come to the wall and you expect things to just smoothly work out according to the, what the Word of God says, and then the opposite rises up psychologically in, in you, spiritually, physically even, for some of us. The whole circumstance hits you. And I want to say that Isaiah chapter 54 gives us a roadmap through these things. It gives us a little bit of a roadmap. And I will just hope to begin to scratch the surface today about what some of that is. Okay, So the first thing it says is, break forth into joyful shouting. You will remember that in uh, Isaiah 52, it says, break forth and shout joyfully to- together, you brace places of Jerusalem in verse 9 of Isaiah 52. as the same kind of dynamic. It's almost as if we hit the, the, um, the trigger point. We hit the trigger point. And when that happens, immediately we are, we are repelled. We are repelled. Has that happened to you before? Have you experienced times when God says, I'm going to bless your year? And then come the 1st of January, immediately your year just falls apart. Have you experienced that? I kind of tended to think of God's when God gives me words of promises and all that as kind of predictions that of this is going to happen and we will move smoothly into it. I just wait for it to just come to pass. But I have found that there are times in which when God says one thing, completely the opposite thing happens. I, during my... Uh, my sabbatical, um, I, I think I've shared this with some of you, um, there was, it happened that two men of God, very well-known men of God, passed away. And they were about the same age as I am. They were about a little bit older than me. And it made me ask the Lord, Lord, what do you have for me? Am I going to, I mean, it seems like death is, seems to be all over the place. And the Lord gave me, Two, two, two chapters, one, uh, uh, Psalm 21, the king asked for long life and he gave it to him forever and ever. I'm not asking to live forever and ever, not on this earth, but you get the idea. The second one was uh, Psalm 73, also the same kind of idea. And I thought, ah, praise God, Phew. I'm not going to die like these guys died. And then immediately after that, I got my, my, uh, my diagnosis of cancer. And immediately my, my, my reaction was this, I, why does it happen that when God speaks, the opposite thing takes place? And the first thing I'm tempted to do, I was tempted to do, is to say, okay, that wasn't from God. That wasn't from God. And as a result of that, I had to seek the Lord more. And the more I sought the Lord, the more He delivered me into a deeper aspect of what he wants to do. And that had to do with confronting things in my own heart that caused me to have confidence, not based upon the word, but based upon circumstance. 
based upon circumstance. The thing about it is this. Um, Isaiah chapter 54 says, break forth, break forth. Um, break forth into joyful shouting. Cry aloud, you have not travailed. There is a certain kind of prayer that we enter into that is a prayer that brings you to the edge of any plausibility or possibility that things are going to work out as you hoped for. And you have to confront that. You have to confront that. You have to confront every enemy that you've had in your heart, every way in which you've been rejected, every way in which you expected God was going to do something and it didn't happen. You confront everything in you that makes you, through your lived experience, respond to the Word of God in a, in a way in which you just, you just can't, you can't hold it. You just can't hold that Word. And you have to sit there. And you sit there, and you got, you're confronted with this wall, this, what I call a paper wall, that separates desolation from joyful shouting. You confront that wall. But it's important to be brought to that wall. It's important to be brought to that place, that trigger point, because that trigger point is going to actually heal you. If you do not get healed, if you, do not, if you only want to avoid these, tri- these trigger points, what's going to happen is that you never come to the place where your hope can be challenged. And, when, and it's only when it's challenged that hope re- becomes substance. You've got to know that you know that you know that you know that you know that God is faithful to His Word. You cannot know just because you got supported by your friends. You cannot know just because of the fact that some people gave you some very encouraging uh, um, um, words of life. You've got to know it because you face the opposite thing. And what God is doing is that He's actually planting and put, planting the substance of expectation in us so that our expectation is not flimsy. It has become something solid. But, but He will bring you and I to this point. So that you and I will prove, prove or make, make real in ourselves, prove for ourselves or embody within ourselves the truth of the Word of God. It is this experience that often causes many of promises of God to not come to pass because we just turn away from it. We just, the pain is too much. And I want to say that, that this thing that is in Isaiah 54 reflects a kind of prayer that's kind of different from just telling God things that He already knows, things, things that are in our heart's desire. It has to do with coming to that, that trigger point. And then you stand there and like Habakkuk, you just wait in the tower and says, I'm not going to move from here until you move, until you step. This area, this space is the most creative, the most liminal space that you can be in because that will determine not only the outcome, but what kind of person you become. So I'm really glad that we sang the song that we sang. So I, li- I like to just put up those, those words um, on, from the bridge. Thank you, Daniel. And I can see the light in the darkness as the darkness bows to Him. You have to see the darkness bowing to Him. If you've never seen the darkness bowing to Him, then you don't know, you haven't experienced the process 
of how darkness is vulnerable to His presence. You, you haven't seen the, you haven't seen in real time how darkness actually gets overcome by him. If you only see the end product when he came and the darkness just left long ago, you don't know how darkness goes away. You will always be afraid of darkness. If you've never seen how darkness bows to him, you will never be a person of expectation. You can expect, you can, you can, all that in the flesh, yeah. But given a trigger moment, you will not be able to survive that. You get depressed. I can see the light in the darkness. It's interesting to see the light in the darkness. Yeah, in the darkness. Not the light with no darkness, but dark, light in the darkness. And I find that it's so important for me to be able to, to, be able to, to discern the light in the darkness. Amen? Every day I woke up. Every day I woke up when, when I had my cancer kind of treatment. Every day I woke up and I could see just darkness falling over me. And I could not see any light. It would be always 5, 5.30 in the morning. I'd wake up and I experienced utter hopelessness, just darkness over me. And I knew I had to wake up and I had to go and seek God. And when I would see God, I'd pray in the Spirit. No words would come because words are just, just so weak. Pray in the Spirit. And if God didn't come, I could not hack it. But I pray. And I would wonder whether words from God were, could ever withstand cancer cells metastasizing. What's stronger? Material things happening or words from God? Right? As Falstaff said, what is world, words? It's, just a, it's, a, it's, a, it's air. It's air. It's just a fachan. Right? I had to know whether these words were real. And I began to, to realize that in the meantime, as I was waiting for diagnosis and waiting for, for reports and all that, I need to be able to do work in the church and do what all, all that God wanted me to do. And I had been praying that, that this will not um, um, sort of throw me off the work that He had for me. We were in pr- we had daily prayer. I was committed to that. I was committed to what God was doing. I could see that God had given us words about revival coming, and I was committed to that. And I felt that if I was taken off track from this, from this path that God has for us as a church, I would not be able to, I, the devil would have just have me bundled out and thrown out, you know? I, I, cannot, I, could not, I could not be faithful to the calling that God had given to me. And so every morning, in, in the morning, about five o'clock, I would wake up, when the darkness would come, I would pray, pray in the Spirit, until there will be a light in the darkness little spot of light there. Just a little spot of light. And I choose that. And I could feel, the more I I set my heart towards God, I could feel that spot of light had the voice and the heart of God in it. Just like God speaking to me like a son, like a child. Putting conviction. Before long, it was not just light in the distance in which I could see with my head, but it was Something that was speaking to me. 
I just needed that. I just needed that in the darkness. And I could feel the darkness. I could feel the word that the Lord would give me. And he said, when my heart is overwhelmed, I got Psalm 60, 40 and 61. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And I realized that in the midst of my darkness, in the midst of my heaviness, the Lord would in this time, in this moment, while all the results were still being uh, ascertained, He would lead me to the rock. Before I knew what the results would be, I would still be led to the rock. And I found that when I was led to the rock, and I allowed myself to, to, to believe the conviction, and receive the conviction, I was strong. I don't think I missed any prayer, daily prayer sessions except when I was seeing the doctors. I don't think I missed even one. I was strong. And I felt what the light feels like. I know what it feels like. It lifts me up. It holds me. It feels more real than any hard facts. It speaks more real. It's also, it speaks to me. It comforts me. And it's enough for me. It's enough for me while a lot of things are still unresolved. Un, uh, un, uh, Let's have a look at this song. This is a great song. Thank you, worship team, for, for bringing this up. As the darkness bows to him, I can hear the roar in the heavens. As the space between wears thin, I can hear the roar in the heavens. So much so that at first it's like a little spot of light. But if you continue praying in the Spirit, and you militate against that paper wall, against the, 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 the situation as it was, the, 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 the embodied, embedded experiences, then the, 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 the heavenly um, whisper becomes like a roar. Now, I believe that all of us as Christians can experience the Word of God, even though spo- spoken softly, like a roar. Not because we hear it loudly, but because when it's whispered, our whole spirit reverberates with it. Not because it's loud. Not because there were so many coincidences and all, because there were a lot of miracles, but because of the fact that we are able to recognize the sound of it, so much so that when it's whispered, it comes out loud. Amen? And sometimes it comes in dreams. Sometimes it comes out of our but being immersed in Him, so much so that as we are immersed in Him, it, dreams will begin to speak to us. I don't know whether I shared with you. Um, I was in a, in a church camp in Malaysia once, and all of us were being awed by the presence of God. And we've been spending time just fasting and prayer, fasting and prayer. And so all the guys were staying in this dorm. And we were so keyed into like prayer that when we went to, 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 to bed, went to sleep, suddenly around 12 something at night, somebody said, get up everybody and intercede. So all of us very obediently got up, got down and knees, interceded. All of us were praying in the spirit. And then we heard in a, in a certain silent lapse for a while. 
the guy who had told us to, to wake up was actually talking in his sleep. Talking in his sleep. But we prayed anyway. <laughs> the next day, there was a person who had come for this conference who was demon-possessed. And he had been violent before. And when he came into the room, he started manifesting and getting violent. I started throwing chairs around, you know, throwing books around, throwing Bibles around. Don't think that just by holding the Bible in front of them, a demon-possessed person, the person will shrink back. No way. He'll take the Bible and just throw it back at you. And you should avoid the Bible if it's being thrown at you, okay? I, wouldn't, I would advise you to just be sensible. And he started doing that. And then we all remembered that night that we had been kind of woken up unceremoniously to intercede and pray. And we just surrounded him. Immediately, the spirit started yelling and screaming and said, don't, don't, don't touch me. And immediately, he was delivered. We didn't have to spend an hour doing that. It was in five minutes. It was all done, done and dusted in that. Then I realized that actually, even in the, in, the, in, the pause, in the pause of this brother, there was the Holy Spirit working. Does that make sense? So there's a way in which expectation can actually increase so much so that when God whispers, we hear it as a roar. Okay? There's a roar in the... Huh, in the heavens. Now, this is really important because there's going to come a time in which God will distinguish those who can hear His voice and those who can't. There were times in which God spoke when Jesus was around. Do you remember that? During the time, Mount of Transfiguration and during that time when um, Jesus was baptized. And, uh, and the Father spoke from heaven. Do you remember that? Now, do you remember also that when he spoke from heaven, Jesus could hear exactly what he was saying? Okay. But the others, how did they hear it? Thunder, it's just a... It was loud, but they didn't hear that there was truth and articulation that was happening as Jesus was actually uh, listening to God. And there is going to come a time in which those who have taken the trouble to prepare themselves and to hear from God and to pray and to be disciplined in this will be able to hear and it will not just be a rumbling. But the thing is that the Lord whispers so that only the men and women of God can hear the whisper. When He wants to do big miracles, He does it not by shouting for everybody so that even an idiot can hear it. He does it in such a way that the ones who are, whose hearts are leaning towards him can hear his secrets. And when they hear his secrets, they will be able to act accordingly. Amen? So this is, this is, this is actually a, 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 an important part because in our church, I believe that the Lord is leading us. He's growing us into this. And so, he says, break forth into shouting and cry aloud, those who have not been travailed. 
Okay. Let's go in verse 2. I'm going to just skip over some stuff. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Spare not. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your pegs. For you will spread abroad. Okay? There isn't going to be an outcome. But the preparation that comes is in verse 2. Enlarge the place of your tent. Now, may I speak to us as a church, not just as individuals, uh, what I've spoken uh, up to now is to us all as individuals, but may I speak to us as a church right now, because God is speaking to the church about what He's going to be doing. I believe that all of us are going to be spreading forth, you may not necessarily be, be going away from here, but what I mean by spreading forth is that in the land that God has given to you, God is going to cause you to... Um, bring the presence of God to these places to such an extent that it is so compelling that people will, will want to know you, want to know God. It says, enlarge the place of your tent. Not the enlarge the place of your building, but the enlarge the place of your tent. The, the Hebrew word is mishkan, mishkan. Enlarge the place of your, twelve, your, your tent and uh, stretch forth the curtains of your dwellings. Yeah? What God is saying is this. This year, there's going to be an enlargement that must happen in each one of us as, a, as well as our church. I feel the Lord is saying enlarge. Enlarge. Not just be um, closed in upon ourselves, but enlarge. But it says, enlarge the, the tent. The tent, Mishkan, has very rich meanings in, in, the, in the Hebrew. The Mishkan had to do with the way in which we become a family together. Are covenanted towards one, with one another and are connected in such a way that we are not autonomous we are connected with one another. The tent has to do with the dwelling place, yeah? And the dwelling place has to do with ways in which God connects us together in a covenantal way in which we are committed to one another and we are together in this way that we affect one another. Okay? In the dwelling place, in the tent, rich things happen and they have to do with the, the, the unity the being together, the loving one another, the serving one another, encouraging one another, knowing one another, but it also has to do with something supernatural. Not that all these things are not, but in the way in which God transfers supernatural things from one to the other. When God fits the, the household together, He does something that is supernatural. But it's not that simple. It's not that simple. It involves a way in which we can only be Christians and members of the body if we die to ourselves. We die to who we are in the natural. We die to that. I didn't say we deny that, but we die to that. That means that is not the defining thing, the thing that, that, that will uh, control our movements is who we are as in the new 
creation in Christ. Okay? So, when God says to, through the prophet, enlarge the place of tent, that has to be happening in order for it to be enlarged. He doesn't say enlarge the corporate structure of your church. The corporate structure doesn't have the richness in which supernatural things and committed things actually happen. It doesn't happen just by visiting or attending. So we can, can think about attendance. But actually, it has to do with something that the Holy Spirit does between us that causes us to become one in a committed way. The body of Christ is not one arm here, a toe there, a nose somewhere else disconnected, but it is connected. That's why uh, in Acts chapter 2, it says when they were all in one place. It says in Psalm 133, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brethren dwell together. And the word for dwell is connected with the dwelling place. It doesn't signify a formal relationship, but it signifies a relationship in which the Holy Spirit has crushed us into one another. Just like the image of grapes. Wine is made when the grapes are crushed. Yeah? The, 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 the feet of the Lord crush us and we begin to flow together. Therefore, they shall come and sing in the, the, the heights of Zion. And they will flow together to the goodness of the Lord, the grain, the wine, the oil. And the young man the, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the maiden together, and they shall not sorrow anymore. So, in, in, in Psalm 133, it talks about the supernatural uh, uh, community in which he says, Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell, dwell to, together in unity. It is like the oil that flows from the head of, a of Aaron down through the beard, through the, through the garments, through the, through, through, the, through the hem of his garment, all the way. There the Lord commands the blessing, life forevermore. When there is unity. What is happening is that the oil, which is because of the anointing, actually transfers. It just flows. It flows down. And we all have the same kind of anointing. It was really interesting because I've had experiences of this in my previous churches um, in quite dramatic ways. I remember there was one time when one of our members um, broke out in very supernatural um, anointing and he began to see this anointing that was so visible, so, so dramatic, right? He would pray for people and they would be healed without him even knowing what disease that person had. So he never prayed for the sick. He just commanded the, the sickness to go. He, just, he says, I never pray for them. I just command them and things would happen. A lot of times I have seen when he had these meetings, he would have no time to pray for them. So he would take a, 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 a handkerchief and then he'll go to the front, and then he'll just do that. And all of them would be hit by the power of God and healed. And he says, 
it's not because I love you, but because God loves you. Because I don't know you. Does that make sense? And I would talk to the people who got healed, and none of them felt that this was a deeper, depersonalized kind of thing, or that this was just kind of a, 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 a what do you call that? Um, uh, a gimmick. They felt so touched by God. So moved by God. They don't even remember what his name was. But they felt that like God actually met him, met him. And I remember that the rest of us who saw this said, wow. Now, I was like 22 or 23 at that time. So my reaction was just, wow, I want that. With all my flesh and my spirit and my hunger for God all mixed in together. The whole mixture. And I, and I remember praying with this brother. And this brother said, I don't know how it happened. I don't know how it happened. He was like shocked himself, you know. But God took him to Sumatra, took him to Java, took him to Indonesia, Thailand, to Philippines, all over. And the same thing would happen. He would minister crowds of 20,000, 30,000. He was about 20 years old when I was like 22. And so we prayed. And I got this, Psalm 133. And he shared with me, said, Michael, this is something that's for all of us. At least for this, for this period, it's all for us. If we are united, we pray together, we're committed to one another, that's what happened. He was not the pastor. He was just like somebody who's young like, like me. And we shared. And then we had this, this other meeting and he invited us to come to one of these meetings that he was doing. And I remember I was with the rest of my own colleagues there. We were sitting in the front and he was preaching. Everybody knew him already by that time. And, uh, I, and then he did something very naughty. He said, Michael, you come up. Oh, shoot. You pray for them. You pray for them. I tried to squirm out of it, you know. I, I think I tried to, I think I got to go to the restroom right now, something like that. But he would not let me go. So he said, okay, go up. So I went up there and I just stretched out my hands. Okay, just stretched out my hands just to get ready to pray. I hadn't prayed yet. I stretched out my hands and the anointing of God came upon that whole room. And people started falling on, out under the Holy Spirit. I, I myself was the, the most shocked of all. And then when we asked for people who has been healed and all that, I didn't even touch them. I didn't even know them. I, I never even come into contact with them. They got healed. And they would come up and share. And then I realized that because our church was so united, the anointing that a brother had or a sister had, we would all experience that. Not only that, when we dwell together in unity, the Lord would touch a brother or a sister and tell that brother or sister, the needs, financial needs that we had. And there was money that was just flowing all over the place, especially towards need. It was not all, you know, miracles. 
it was miraculous in this other way. And what I want to say is this. When God says, extend the curtains of your dwelling place, He's saying, extend that. Not make the church bigger, or so that there's a lot more bodies coming into the church. Extend that. This year, we are going to continue to let the Holy Spirit build that. There are times in which God calls us to be together as a band of brothers and sisters that God is uniquely or uh, distinctively doing a work in. When that happens, we will rub with one another sometimes and there will be sparks. We will misunderstand one another and we will have to forgive one another many, many times, again and again and again and again. And it will test us in terms of our motives, in terms of why we are here in the first place. Is it for our own self or for whatever, to, to get whatever we can get from each other or something greater than that? But that's the way God rubs us together so that we have love for one another. And when we have love for one another, it is on the backs of a thousand forgivenesses. Amen? That is what God is doing. When God says, stretch out the tent of our curtain, He's not talking about the, just the fact that we all have different gifts and we respect each other's gifts. Those are, that's, there's a dimension of that all there. But He's talking about a certain spiritual life, not gifts, spiritual life. Not distinctive gifts that different ones of us have. Some of us have certain gifts of music, for example, that others don't have. Some others have other gifts of teaching that others don't have. Something, some have good uh, gifts of organization that others don't have. I'm not talking about those things. I'm talking about this, the, the bank of spiritual life that has been given to us because the Holy Spirit has been given to us severally as He will. Amen? And so, this year, I want to invite you to have expectation and to confront the places in which we feel that the, we, the, the walls have, have come up against our nose. And I want to invite you to stand there, stay there, and pray and wait upon God because He will come through. Don't give up. It is now, I believe this is true, that it is because of our reaction to such disappointments, scripted by our experience, that causes us to actually move away. But all you need to do is to stand there. Not do anything special. Just stand there and wait upon God. Just pray. Just stand there. Just don't go away. Just don't go away. Can you do that? <laughs> Just don't go away. Don't run away from God. Just do that. Because it's Him that will come. Amen? You don't have to do anything Kung Fu or Tai Chi or anything like that at the wall. Just stand. Having done all, Paul says, to stand. Secondly, I want to invite you to be part, more part of the church than you've ever been. Because God is doing something amongst us. God is doing something. And one of the amazing things that happens in, in our church is that God speaks and we bear witness. 
How do you learn how to hear from God and become more accurate in hearing from God? You pray, you let God speak to you in your devotions, join us in prayer. You will be surprised how many times someone speaks or, or has a word that's exactly what you got. Today, somebody told me that what was spoken up during communion was exactly what she had during her devotion. When you experience this, it has a way of honing in now our hearing skills. I'm not talking about gifts. This is not, this is not about being, being gifted. It's just about being, having a relationship with God. Amen? And as we do that, we become habituated to this very strange time in which we are living on the edge in this liminal place. 50, Isaiah 52, 54 speaks about this time we're in. Amen? Let us pray. May I invite the worship team up again to sing this song? Okay. We're going to pray. And then after we finish praying, the worship team, for those of us who can stay back, we will lead us in this song. Is that okay? All right, let us pray. Father, we thank you that we're in your house. This is your house. It was your idea. You're building it. You're bringing those that are supposed to be here, here. And we want to pray right now for those, God, who need to stand. Just stand right now that are facing, even feeling it come up to them, the darkness that they felt before, maybe even back to childhood. They remember it. We want to pray right now for those experiences that Jesus, they'll feel your hand right now, standing right there in the fire, in the darkness with them. We ask that there would be a new experience right now that you are shepherding them to. And Jesus, Amen. we pray right now for those who just have one final step to even get to the wall. Amen. Those that have been walking spiritual paths with you, and yet when it comes to the last step, they know that that is the reckoning. And we pray right now that there would be a reckoning with self, just one more step to come to a place where they will watch the walls fall down. So we ask for Holy Spirit, Amen. you to make this possible for them right now in Jesus' name. Amen.